we're going to do scripture reading a little differently this morning. The, the very worst thing you can say to a Baptist church at 815 service, we're going to do something different this morning. Uh, but we are going to, rather than read the text all at once, we're going to read it uh, interspersed throughout the message, so that uh, throughout the sermon, so that you can capture uh, the, the poetry and the beauty and the power of it. Uh, so we'll read a section, and then I'll comment on that, and then we'll read the next section, and I'll comment on that, and the third section, and comment on that. Uh, and so um, if you want your Bible open, you'll need it open to the 139th Psalm, one of the most beautiful and mysterious in all of Scripture, and in fact, some of the most beautiful literature ever written, uh, sacred or secular, if there is such a category. I would like to invite us to bow our heads for prayer as uh, as we we move into this part of the service, if you would bow with me. And I want to just encourage you to take a moment to be aware of the reality that we are always in God's presence, but never more so than when we're in this wonderful experience of worship, that God has summoned and invited us here. What a privilege that is. I'd like for you to take a moment and bring to God the burdens of your heart, the heartaches, the struggles, Just take a moment and offer those to God. And now please take a moment and offer to God your sin. Confess your failures and sins and bring to Him your shame, your failure, your guilt. And just picture that as under the cross of Jesus, all erased by his sacrifice. Mighty God, we thank you that you are the God who forgives sins, who heals diseases, who rescues from hell. You are rich in love and mercy, and your presence in our lives changes everything. So we pray that today we'll be able to comprehend more of what that means. We pray that your tenderness might touch those who are grieving today, that your power and blessing might protect those who are in danger, those serving in the armed forces, that you would give wisdom to the leaders of our nation and the leaders of all nations. God, that you would superintend this world of yours and somehow bring peace and justice and help us to always to be willing to put feet to our prayers, to live the gospel. Open our hearts now. Show us your truth. Through Christ we pray. Amen. The presence of God. The psalmist in the 139th Psalm explores this beautiful concept, uh, but he he helps us understand that it's a little bit overwhelming to think about God's total presence. Uh, that it's a little bit intense. And uh, I should ask you the question at the start, where is God? You know, if in your mind, in your theology, God is way up there, that's one thing. Is God way out there far away? Or is God tied to this building and we only visit him once a week? I mean, that's some, people, that's some people's theology. Or is God everywhere? Is there no place we can go where God is not? And 
is God not only everywhere, but is God in everything and is God at the center of everything? We're going to explore the, the beautiful truth that the psalmist has to unfold for us. And he begins, uh, I'm going to read the first six verses of the 139th. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high I cannot attain it. So ponder with me the arrogance of assuming that we could ever live a life apart from God. You know, you read this, uh, God, you know me when I sit down, rise up, lie down. In other words, in every, in every category of my day, you know my thoughts, you know my words, you know my ways. In every activity of my life, God is present and working. And then that amazing verse 5, you hem me in. And that phrase is actually a word that was taken from uh, military terminology of the day when a when an army surrounded a city and a city was besieged, it was hemmed in. And there's this concept that th- there's just no place I can go that God isn't aware and, and present in my life. So it leads us to do away with that false category, that, that false division of sacred and secular, as if there are some areas of life in which God are involved Uh, There are some areas of life in which God is involved and there are other areas where he's not. There's no secular and sacred. It's all sacred. It's all tied together. Do you begin to understand a new definition of sin? Sin is the arrogance of pretending that we could build a life without God. Sin is trying to make it without God. Arrogantly shaking our fist at God or running from him. Which leads to the second section. Now I'm going to read verses 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. I can't go anywhere that God is not. The psalmist introduces a new concept that's not been known in Hebrew scripture before. Even if I make my bed in the, in the depths of the earth, in the region of death, that's what Sheol is. Even God is there in the region of death. That's never been said before in Old Testament scripture. So you see how scripture is paving the way for a savior who would come and say, I am resurrection and life. I'm Lord of life and of death. I, the highest heaven the depths of the grave, wherever I go, the psalmist says, God is there. 
And four times in the English translation in this section of Scripture, he uses the word darkness or dark. If I go to a dark, dark place, God can still see me. God has night vision goggles. The dark doesn't bother God. There is no darkness to God. Let me pause and ask you, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And the answer is yes. Is it a good thing or a bad thing that God can see all and be everywhere? Is that a, is that a blessing or is that rather bothersome? Yes, it's both. Think about this. The greatness of God arouses fear. The goodness of God arouses faith. The greatness of God can terrify us. His holiness, His otherness, His everywhereness. But the goodness of God leads us to trust Him, that He is good. And here's another question related to this section, the verses 7 through 12. Was the psalmist running from God? And if so, why? Why was he trying to flee? Evidently, he has some experience finding out wherever he goes, God is there. So why was he running from God? Was it arrogance saying, I I want to build a life without God? I, I want to find a place where God is not? Was it embarrassment over sin? Was it guilt and shame? Feeling like his heart was dirty? Well, let me ask you, why do you run from God? Why have you, at points in your life, run from God? Why do we do that? Francis Thompson was born in England in 1859. He was uh, the son of a physician, a successful surgeon. His father wanted Francis to be a doctor. Francis tried medical school. It wasn't for him. He was sort of a rebel. He wanted to write. He wanted to think. He wanted to go his own path. He got involved in all kinds of uh, poor choices in his life. He got addicted to opium. He walked the streets. He slept by the river. He, he had a life of, of, uh, of waste and, and uh, ill health and, and failure and cycles of sin and, addu- and addiction. Finally, a family took him in. And some of his poetry got published. He had this vision of God, this spiritual experience one time, and he wrote about it in what I think is one of the most powerful poems ever written, The Hound of Heaven. I want to share with you just a piece of it. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind, And in the mist of tears I hid from him. From those strong feet that followed, followed after. But with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat. And a voice beat more instant than the feet. All things betray thee who betrayest me. Do you hear the rhythm of that poem? 
I fled God down these rabbit holes, these labyrinthine ways of my mind. I ran from God and ran from God. And every time I looked up, God came after me with unperturbed pace, with unhurried love, with relentless passion. Every time I looked up, God was coming after me, following, following after with deliberate speed. This powerful concept that God's love is so fierce, that God's love is so incredibly passionate, that God never gives up on us. God is the hound of heaven. Amazing. But the psalmist isn't done. There's a third stanza, beginning in verse 13. I want to read 13 through 18. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them, and they are more than the sand. See, what the psalmist has been doing in the first two stanzas is macro, big picture. God is everywhere. God is in heaven. God is in the realm of the dead. God is in space. God is everywhere. But now he moves from macro to micro. He says, God, we are so amazingly created. When I was a tiny speck, God, you knew all about me. He goes from macro to micro. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. You know the body, the human body is made up of billions of cells. And all of those cells are organized and coordinated around around systems. And if you are a nurse or a doctor or you have specialties in any kind of health care, you know how those systems relate. And it's amazing. For all of our focus on illness and, and how horrible illness is, even when we're sick, there are so many systems that are working right. Every breath we draw is a gift. In fact, just take one example. You know, when you think about it, at the moment of conception, you got the package deal. Your hair color, your eye color, the shape of your beautiful nose, and you all have beautiful noses, by the way. I mean, think about it. At, at conception, you got the package deal. You got, you got all your... If you, when you turn seven or eight, you don't have to go to the dentist and, and turn in your baby teeth and then shop around for permanent teeth. They're all inside there. They're all inside there in that, in that tiny speck. It's amazing. A little girl was visiting with her grandpa and she said, Grandpa, did God make you? He said, yes, honey. God made me, and then about 60 years later, he made you. She thought for a moment, and she said, seems like God's doing better work lately, don't you think? (laughs) Yes, God's doing better work all the time. But God is doing great work, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And 
And is this scripture saying that unborn life is sacred, that there is a sanctity to unborn life? Yes. God knows us at conception. But this scripture is also saying that born life is sacred. There is a sanctity to all of life. To the millions living in poverty and children here in the states and over the earth who are hungry, their lives are sacred. To the people living on death row, their lives are sacred. Infinite worth and value to God. And the 10,000 people who've died in Ukraine since civil war broke out, There's a sanctity to their lives. And the five million people who have fled Syria who are now refugees in other parts of the world, their lives are sacred. There's a sanctity to that life too. And the lonely widow who called a week ago to our church and asked if there was a fan that she could have to keep from burning up in this heat. You know, there's a sanctity to her life too. She's sacred in God's eyes and of infinite value and worth. And what about the millions of people across the earth who need desperately to hear about the love of Jesus Christ and salvation through Him? See, God knows all their names. They're of value to Him. And the next time you get irritated with somebody... impatient with somebody, the next time you're tempted to hate somebody who's of a different race or religion, or you're tempted to hate somebody whose political views are different, just remember this. Their picture is on God's refrigerator too. God loves them. God created them. They're special. He's got their picture on his refrigerator right beside yours. He loves his creation. So, to think about this entire passage, what if we could come to a new understanding of God's presence in our world and in our lives? What if we could begin to think about the entire cosmos as being drenched in God's presence? God's not up there, out there, or only in this building, but the entire cosmos is drenched with God's presence. How would that change us? And if we began to see the incarnation of Jesus, God come in the flesh, Jesus come to earth, if we could come to see Jesus come in the flesh, not merely as Jesus showing us what God is like, but God showing us what would happen if one person could live with a total awareness of Godness. If one person, Jesus, could live and show us what life could be like if you lived with a total sense of God's presence in everything and in everybody and in every event. How would life be different? Turns out God is good, not just great. Infinitely good. Turns out God's our friend. Turns out your picture is on God's refrigerator too. Turns out God loves us all, and He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us. And even when we try to run from Him, 
He follows, follows after with unperturbed pace, with deliberate speed, and he never, ever quits because that's just the way God is.